we start talking about the good stuff, we're talking about relationships. Now, I will tell you this much, that today we're going to talk about marriage. Ushers, lock the doors, don't anybody leave, because we are talking about marriage. I know that when I walked into the first service, I had a couple people say, I saw the subject matter, and I was thinking about leaving. And I do know this, that whenever we start talking about marriage, that I know in my own life personally, and I'll bet we're similar, that the two things that reveal the areas I need to grow the most in is marriage and parenting. Those are just the two things. And so when we talk about that, there's just this opportunity to carry shame or guilt or condemnation. And if, that, if you leave with that today, I failed in sharing what I believe the Lord wants me to share. And then also I know that not everybody here is married. And it's like, man, I'm single. I'm not married. How does this apply to me? Well, these are still qualities that if you'll apply them to your friendships, work relationships, that type of thing, that they'll still serve you. They're not, they're not unique to marriage, but they do help marriage. So as we talk here today, uh, just take comfort in this. Whatever mistake you've made, I've, I've probably made. Whatever thing you've done, I've probably done it. And because uh, in all likelihood I'm older than you, maybe I've done it more often than you. And so I'm not coming from a position of, you know, hey, we've got it all together. And you guys, I said this last week. That, you know, some people that when they get married, I mean, Disney characters are bringing breakfast to their bed. That wasn't Tina and I. We have, you know, we're keeping the porcupines and cockroaches away. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that we, we were so different when we got married. And, um, and just, you know, we, we didn't know that. You know, it was like uh, we didn't know we were that different. And you don't realize, you know, who really the things about the person you're marrying until you marry them. And so, so we can't do anything about our past, right? I mean, just receive the grace of God. Receive forgiveness. Don't carry any shame here. Receive God's goodness and his forgiveness and receive that. But let's make a decision that today, that the things that we learn today, from this day forward, from this day forward, we'll begin to put those things into practice. You know, there's, there's power in the present and there's hope in the future as we look at those things. So let's keep our eyes on right now and out there and just, just follow God on all we do. So you ready to get started? There are like eight of you, but hopefully the rest of you will get into it later. Anyway, grab hold of your Bible and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the Word of God, and I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians 5. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. Ephesians is in the New Testament. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. We'll start with Ephesians 5.21. It's kind of our keynote uh, verse for this series. And in 5.21 he says this, And further submit, everybody say submit, to one another. Everybody say one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's the thing, is that we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, that word submit there, I think one of the simple ways to translate it is to tend to each other's needs. To tend to each other's needs, and not because you deserve it. I know one of the challenges I've had in my marriage at times is that there's things the Scripture tells me to do, and I've excused not doing it because I thought, well, I'm really mad at her, she doesn't deserve that. Well, that's not why Jesus said to do that. That's not why the word says do it. It says that we don't do it because they deserve it. We do it out of reverence for Christ. So, so we do this. And so he said, out of reverence for Christ. And so for wives, this means 
Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, is, uh, let me stop right there. So this is a passage that has tripped people up for the longest time because they don't read it. I don't think they read it through the eyes of what the Holy Spirit and what the Lord intended for it to be. One thing is that men have misused and abused this church, I mean this verse, for centuries. And, and so we haven't, we haven't done it right. And we've lost sight of the fact that being in leadership in the body of Christ doesn't mean that everybody serves you. It means that now you have the obligation and responsibility to serve everybody. Thank you. So it's right, yeah. Five of, five of you agree with me, but that's what we're called to do is to do that. And so that's, that, that as we begin to serve and to love our family and do those things, it becomes easier to lean in and follow that leadership. It, it's hard, and, and, I, and I don't advocate that you follow abusive leadership. Who wants to do that? But in the kingdom, leaders, they're, they're servants. And so he goes on to say, he said, um, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, marriage is so unique that the only relationship that it can be compared to is the relationship of Jesus and the church. There's no other relationship on earth like marriage other than that relationship. It's unique. There's, there's so many things about marriage that give it its uniqueness. You know, there's a ceremony where we exchange vows. It says in Malachi 2, it says that the Lord is present there. And that, and that even sex is intended for marriage. It's, it's, you know, the reason why it's not intended for outside of marriage is that it's an expression of the covenant that God has for a husband and wife. It's not just a physical act. It's not just hooking up. There's something about it that can, that's a reminder of this connection that God has for us. And so we're, we're called, uh, you know, that in our marriage, that, that that's what's called to do. It's a reflection of that. So then he closes with this. So again I say, listen to this. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. So he's, he gives this whole statement, but he breaks it down into this. Men, if you want to know what to do, husbands, if you want to know what to do, love your wife like you love yourself. And then he says this, and the wife must respect her husband. And the wife must respect her husband. You know, I just read, you know, and again, we have different stories, but in being raised in church and that type of thing, for years I just read over that and I didn't notice that he didn't tell him to do the same thing. He didn't say, hey, y'all just love each other. And again, you know, in all honesty, I mean, you know, you should. You know, husbands and wives should love each other. But for whatever reason, that Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus and to the one in northeastern Oklahoma, that there's a distinction here 
for, for each one that husbands, love your wives, you know, as you love yourself. Earlier he said, as Christ loved the church, and wives, respect your husbands. So, so here he's, he's telling them to do two different things. Now again, does that mean that wives don't have to love their husbands? No, wives should love their husbands. Does that mean husbands don't have to respect their wives? No, husbands should respect their wives. But I think the Holy Spirit is drawing an emphasis that as far as our emotional need, that, that these things, they take different priority in us. I've shared this before, but, you know, my dad, he was a good guy. He was a blue-collar guy. He was a man's man. And so, you know, I was, I was raised, you know, you know, just, I remember just being honorary as a boy and that kind of thing and wrestling around. And then at times as I got older, you know, just sometimes I, and every now and then I'd be around two guys that got crossways with each other. I never broke up a fight with two men. And they say, what's going on here? I never had the one guy point at the other guy to go, he said he didn't love me. I mean, that never happened. Usually that guy felt disrespected by something that the other man had done. It's just in the core of, of men that that's just something that our heart aches for. And it doesn't begin when we cross 20. The parents of boys probably get that. that there's, there's that thing in there. I've, I've said this and people have used it as a criticism and I, I don't mean it as a criticism at all. I think it's the way that we're wired for whatever reason that a man's heart is connected to his ego. And he'll go wherever he's valued or honored. My husband's just at work all the time and he never wants to come home. Well, he's probably honored there. Can, I, can we just have an honest conversation? Is he valued at home? That's where he's going to be. And then, and then for our wives, the thing that speaks to their heart, the thing that's secure, is that I know you as a man have all these other interests. And I'm okay with it. I just want to know, do I matter to you more than, than these other things? I know you like to fish, but to our wife's heart, am I, am I more important than fishing? I'm, I'm not saying you can't fish. And, and often, you know, the, the cry of their heart is, why don't you, and you, you, you could fill in the blank, love me more than whatever that is. But, but this, one, this one verse is just kind of this clear picture of this vision it's very clear and succinct. And I think the one thing he's trying to communicate to us is this, that, that in the good stuff, in our marriage, just know this. Number one, know this. Know our needs are different. They're just different. And I, and I, I know that there's, that there's a huge push to try to draw, to try to eliminate any distinction. And I think it's, I think it's it, it, and some people may be well-meaning or willing to, it's a huge mistake. We're, our needs are different. And sometimes our, the differences are based upon temperament and personality, and sometimes the needs are based upon gender. It's just, just the way that we're made. And, and again, one's not good and the other's bad. One's not better and the other's worse. It's just different. We're just, we're just made in the image of God. You know, that, that word, you know, in, the, in Genesis when it says that he made Adam a helpmate or helper, that word there, the Hebrew word is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And the quality is the same thing where it says, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. In other words, it's a God-like characteristic, a God-like quality. And so in this right here to know that, I know when, you know, and again, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to try to come across like anything other than what it is, and that is, is that it, it, maybe a lot of you can identify with this. You know, when Tina and I got married, that I, you know, I just thought I'm going to be, I'm, I want to be a good husband, 
You make, we make all these promises, you know, all of these things. And one of the reasons why we do it, and we genuinely, sincerely mean it, but the thing we don't realize is that I make these promises because I assume that you have the same needs I do. You need affection? I'm going to provide that for you because I want that too. You know, you, you need affirmation? I'm going to provide that for you because I need that too. And so I'd come home every day, and I'd walk into our, we had this little apartment uh, in Broken Arrow, and I would walk in there, and I would tell my wife that I love her, and I'd, you know, I'd give her a hug and a kiss, and, and, and that type of thing, and hey, I love you, you know, and I, uh, I'd make up songs about my family, you know, and all that kind of stuff, my, you know, my son's down here, he'll tell you that, you know, that, that I make up songs about them, and, and I made up songs about her, I'm just, I'm a songwriter, but it's kind of a public song thing, so, but anyway, uh, you know, it's and, and just, all of these things, and for the longest time, she didn't feel like I loved her. And, and the truth matters, can I be real honest with you? I think she loved me. And, and you know, there's just so much, so many things, so many tools that we have access to, and you know, the love language thing is a good thing. And as I began to read that, I began to realize one of the issues in our life is that when I came in and I would say, Babe, I'm home, man. Come, you know, come over here. Give me a hug and a kiss. You know, I just, I love you so much. I'm glad. And so while I was giving her a hug and a kiss, she wasn't feeling loved. She noticed that the trash can was overflowing. There was an empty Pepsi bottle on the floor that I stepped around to give her a hug and a kiss. Do you see the trash? We got trash. <laughs> Saturday was her busy day. I'd be home. She'd come home and like there's a sink full of dishes. Babe, you're home. Come over here, man. Let me give you a hug. Okay. You don't seem very excited. I am. As soon as you get through doing those dishes, babe, I got a big hug waiting on you. I'm telling you right now. And it's because, you know, man, her, her, you know, that she, the thing that communicated love to her was different than what it did to me. I, our needs are different. They just, they're just different. It's not better or worse, good or bad. They're different. And if we're going to tend to the needs of our spouse, we have to begin to have those conversations. Somebody says, well, I, I just, I don't want to have to tell them. Well, unless they're a mind reader, you're in trouble. And, and think about it this way, you know, you're, what you're saying is, I just want them to do instinctively what they need to do. Well, I don't think that's a greater compliment than doing it Intentionally. If I don't think about doing this, I mean, I don't just naturally do this, so I have to do this on purpose. And the reason why I do it on purpose is because I love you. James 1, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Verse 19, it says this. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Everybody say quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. So because our needs are different, when people's needs are different, we hear differently than they do. We see differently than they do. And so the only way we can understand them is to hear them. I said this, that, you know, a man's heart is connected to his ego. I found this out, that, that my wife's heart is connected to my ears. If I sit down and engage to listen, and my first thought is not, hey, how do we fix this so I can cut this conversation short? Because she's not communicating to fix She's communicating to connect. Oh. So I, I may have to turn the TV off for a while. Yeah, if, I mean, if you want to understand her and you want to connect with her and that kind of thing, it tends to work best. 
And so for us, we, we have to do this. Our, our needs are different. Matter of fact, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's writing to them, and he's talking to them about, you know, intimacy and sexual relationships. And he says, he said, look, he said, first of all, he said, I'm not married. And he said, for a lot of you, that's probably good. But he said, because, but for a lot of you, he said, if you don't get married, you're going to commit sexual sin, so you need to get married. And he said, then you guys need to take care of each other's needs in that area. And he said, if you don't, you give access to the devil. You open up the door for the devil. I've discovered this, that the greatest enemy to marriage is neglect. Because it's hardly ever on purpose. It's usually because we have other needs in our life. Our kids have to be cared for. We have stress going on. We have, our parents have issues. Our siblings have issues. We have jobs. We're trying to take care of, world, of the world. And so we look at our spouse like, well, you know, they're going to be okay. Well, whenever your spouse has needs, there's one of three things that can happen. You can meet it. They can go without it. Or they can look for somebody else to meet it. And two and three are not God's plan. And so just this awareness. Well, I don't know why my spouse is doing it. There's a possibility they may not know how much you need that. And so number one is this. For marriages to be the good stuff, it starts with know, you know, just know that your needs are different. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me to Ephesians 4. It's the chapter before 5, in case you needed help with that. Anyway, um, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 21. And it says, it says, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, Truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Now listen to this. And don't sin by letting, by letting anger control you. So he said, first of all, don't sin by letting anger control you. He didn't say that getting angry is a sin. He said letting anger control you is where it becomes a sin. All of us get angry at times. It's an emotion that comes up. We're disappointed. Our expectations aren't met. We're frustrated. Things happen. That happens to all of us. I mean, we've all had that moment. But it doesn't become trouble unless anger begins to kind of drive the ship. Then, then you're in trouble. So don't, don't sin by letting anger control you. And then it goes on. It says this, And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So, he said, first of all, that don't let anger control us. If you, if you get mad, don't let it drive the ship. You step away from that emotion. Don't let it determine what you do. But then he even said this even more so. He said, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Or don't let the sun go down in your wrath. In other words, resolve our issues. Resolve our issues. This is very difficult for us because there's so much risk involved in sitting down with somebody and telling them where they hurt you or disappointed you. You don't know how you're going to respond sometimes. You may not know how they're going to respond. And, and I know that we all handle conflict kind of differently. You know, some people, whenever there's an issue going on, they want to fix it now. They want to take care of it right now. And other people, hey, just give me a little space. I just need a little time. I'll, I'll take care of when I have a little space, a little time. You know, they're like, hey, don't get too close to me. I may shank you. I mean, you know, so you, you want to, you know, so you got to watch that, you know. But, 
but you can't just let it go on forever. It can't, it can't go on forever. It doesn't go away. It stays there. By, by nature, I like peace. And so my goal used to be to avoid conflict at all cost. And so when that would happen, then I, I have the brown bag effect. In other words, like things just begin you know, to, to fill up in my emotional bag. And, you know, and again, I, I reveal things to you. I just want to be very transparent. And I know that may rock some people, but you know, I, I can't sit here and say you should do this when the reality of it is this is something we all need to be working on. But I know when Tina and I first got married, like I, I wasn't used to having somebody just kind of around me that had ideas that were different than mine. And I've showed this before, but there would be times when we were doing things that didn't tell me I'd do something. She goes, hey, why don't you do this way? And I'd, I'd kind of turn around and look at her. And back then, Ford had a commercial that they, they would say, cars used to do this, but now they do this, and Ford has a better idea. So I got to the point that anytime that she would throw a suggestion, in my mind, I would look at her and go, okay, Ford, you have a better idea. And so, I mean, I would, I would do that. And again, I know that's incredibly immature, it's incredibly petty, but consider telling you a story. So, but here's the thing. So that would go on, and, I, and it was really, it was kind of passive-aggressive. It wasn't, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes sarcasm's fun, and sometimes it's masked hostility. And so, um, and so I remember one day we're moving, and, uh, and this shows you how long it goes. We had, we had a waterbed, and so we're moving, and uh, the, somebody said, what's a waterbed? Ask your parents. So, but here, and so I was going to take it apart, and she said, oh, no, no, you don't need to take it apart. Uh, you can just carry it in one piece. And I thought, okay, Ford. So I, I, I picked it up and it snapped in half. And for like three months, all of those things emotionally I'd been putting in the bag that didn't go away, I emptied them out in front of her in that moment. And it was like, I mean, the only thing missing was my head spinning and me hurling vomit. I mean, it was just like one of those, just, it was like, is my husband possessed? What's wrong? I mean, so it was one of those things, I was just so mad. I mean, just, and it was, the anger was exceeded the moment. But it was because I didn't resolve stuff. I just carried it. I was like Velcro. It just hung on to me until I was forced to deal with it. And it was so damaging to our marriage. It always raised things to a level higher than it needed to be. And so, so many times, we come into a, this marriage with security, insecurities that our spouse didn't create, issues that they didn't create, but we have them. And so when it comes to those things, kind of like conflict, then it begins to come out in some way in our marriage. I, I remember, again, in the early years that, you know, we, before I'd go to work or whatever, or she'd go to work, we'd kiss each other goodbye. And I just remember there was an area in our life that I was really frustrated with her. And, you know, and I, I felt like this is just not going to be resolved. And so... I just and to her it's probably a really small thing, but it was it was purposeful and intentional in me. And that is is that as I'd walk out the door, I I wouldn't give her a goodbye kiss. And every now and then she'd say, "Hey, you haven't given me a kiss," so I'd, I'd go back and give. But it was it, I didn't forget. I, I was intentional. It was, it was a form of punishment because I hadn't dealt with issues. And, there, and there's things like that, but they're so subtle. And that they're powerful. They're things that take place in our heart. They're not all noticeable at first. One of the most dangerous things that can take place is we make secret vows. I'll never, nobody hears it but in our heart, I'll never do that again. 
and it takes root and it begins to be destructive to that relationship and it starts out as a small seed but it grows into this thing that it just gets in the way of the relationship and so we we can't let these things just go unresolved not in our marriage not in our church not in our friendships and let me just say this too if I have an issue with you, I can't fix it by talking to somebody else. At some point, you and I have to talk. At some point, you and I have to engage in a conversation. I've avoided making people have those conversations before, always to my pain. But you have to be, will have to be willing to listen and to engage in those things. To, to work through it to process through it, to seek first to understand. Seek that first, then to be understood. That flies in the face of our culture. We live in a generation that spends all of its time hollering at the other person because they want to be heard. They have no interest in hearing what's being said. In this culture, the loudest one wins. In relationships, the first one to listen wins. And so we're called to do this. Number two is resolve conflict quickly. Don't let it just hang on. Don't, don't buy into the lie that this is okay. It can last and I'll just do it. No, sit down and have those conversations. Resolve conflict quickly. Let's look at number three. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark. I know we're kind of rushing. We could do so many things on this, but... We're going to get through this. Mark 10, verse 2. And, and again, let me say this again, that what, whatever's, whatever you've been, whatever's happened to you, whatever you've done, in this moment, just receive the grace of God and the mercy of God that none of us get out of this thing perfect. Nobody sitting here today is, is, is free from having blown it in some form or fashion relationally. So... You just, you just receive the grace of God for your past and the mercy of God for your past and just plant your feet right now where they are and then, you know, and, and just, just say from this day forward. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 2, it says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them with the question, What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. Everybody say hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. So they're having this conversation, and in the law that they had back then, that, that you notice he said a man could, could give a writing of divorcement, and in their culture, women weren't treated well. You know, Christianity, Jesus changed the conversation regarding women. He said that talking about in Christian homes that they're joint heirs together. And so he was talking about divorce here and he said, you know, that the reason why this law was given was because of hard hearts. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again, that you can be the best spouse in the world and not have a very good marriage because there's another person involved. And your heart can stay tender, but if they harden theirs, then it'll be hard for your marriage to make it. 
And the truth of the matter is, is we grow. Who we were years ago, we may not be the same person now, and we wish we could do things different. But again, that's why the grace of God is available and the mercy of God is there. So this applies to now. This is not to create shame for your past. It's to give you instruction for today and hope for tomorrow. And so marriage works when you keep your heart tender. Years ago, I had a friend. He and his wife, they were both friends of mine. They got married, and then they were going through a really hard season in their life. And I remember that I was working at a ministry, and they just they wanted to get with me and talk. And so I asked my boss, hey, can I take half a day off to go talk with them? And, and I told him what was going on. And he asked me this question. He said, do you know why people get divorced? And I'm like, well, you know, they don't love each other. Things happen. You know, that type. And let me just say this. Sometimes people's brokenness is just too unhealthy for you to continue to live with. Like, I, I don't advocate staying in abusive situations. But a lot of times that's not our issue. And so I gave him all my reasons and he took me to this passage and he said, you know, the reason why people ultimately get a divorce is because at least one person, not always both, but at least one person in that relationship has hardened their heart. And not towards their spouse, but towards God. The Lord deals with us. He deals with me. I've shared with you before that, man, you know, that, you know it's, it's wild that Tina and I, man, we used to have like almost daily conflict. We, we broke all the rules. You know, we're never going to use the word divorce. And before our first year was out, that would come up. Hey, we've married the wrong person. All, probably all the things that many of you have been through. And, and God's helped us. He's helped grow us. That, you know, in so many ways, a lot of times we're on the other side. Now, my family can tell you that, that there are days we still have conflict. It's just not as often as it used to be, and it's not on steroids anymore. And so, you know, but, you know, but we're, you know, we're in a good place. What's funny is, though, at the beginning of this week, we had some conflict like we hadn't had in a while. And I thought, of course, on the week I'm talking about marriage, we're going to be like button heads, like, you know, two ram goats, like, you know. But, but we have those. But, but in every one of those situations, the Lord deals with me. He deals with my, if, I, if I'm frustrated and I pray, like, man, God, will you help my wife, man? Can you see what she's doing? Did, were you on coffee break? I mean, I, will you see that? You know, and he never wants to talk about her. He always wants to talk about me. And I've, I've even said to him, like, do you deal, I hope you deal with her like you deal with me, because you won't leave me alone. I hope, I, hope, I hope she's feeling what I'm feeling right now. Isn't that the love of God? So, I mean, you know, so, so just those moments and those, those things that we do that, that, we, that if we'll keep our hearts tender. I, I've shared the story that years ago when we were living in New Mexico, we were having this argument and it got pretty intense and, and she got mad at me and she got left, <laughs> left the room. And uh, I had a man cave so I was able to kind of shut the doors and turn Sports Center up. And um, so I felt like I was winning. But um, I, 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 you know, she was communicating with the cabinets and the dishes that she was pretty frustrated with me. And I had this thought that said, Go apologize. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to apologize. Now, I know you've never done that. Y'all pray for me. You're way more spiritual than I am. But in my head, I'm like, I'm not apologizing. I'm not going to go apologize to her. I always apologize. Even when I'm wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm the lowly servant of the Lord. I get up and always apologize, you know. If only she were more spiritual like me. I get up and apologize. And so, but I'm like, I'm not doing that today. I'm done. Those days are over. If I'm wrong, I'll admit it. But I'm not wrong this time. You're like, what are you fighting about? I, I don't remember. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, I, I just, I'm not going to do that. And so time went on, and that thought came again. Hey, go apologize. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to apologize. And the third time the thought came, go apologize. 
And, and, when it was, and, and again, I just thought it was kind of like my own conscience just kind of messing with me. But then this next thought came, and I thought, oh, man, that's a God thought. And it was this, you think you're hardening your heart towards her, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, and it's about time too, you know. And then this thought came and said, she's not even talking to you right now. You're not hardening your heart towards her, you're hardening your heart towards me. And I realized that it was God dealing with me. Because you know what I found out about the Lord? He's not concerned with who's right. He's concerned with what's right. And he wanted our relationship to be okay. That was more important to him than me making a point. Man, it was hard. It's hard. It's hard to get up. I felt like I had chains on my feet, you know. And when I went and apologized, you know, I was expecting this. Honey, thank you so much for apologizing. No, she was still pretty mad at me. <laughs> so now I'm mad at God. Now I'm mad at you, and I'm not apologizing to you. You know what I mean? It was one of those things. But it's just one of those things. He just deals with us. There's no way you can ever know everything there is about relationships or about your marriage. And that's part of it. When we get married, we don't really know that person until we, we marry them. There's just questions that come up, things that arise that we didn't know would take place. You're like, well, if we just knew more. No, no, I'm, I'm just telling you that if both of you will go into this and say, I'm always going to keep my heart tender towards God. Because there's never a day that he doesn't feel like loving you. There are days I get frustrated. And if it's just about me and you, it'd be easy for me to say no. Because I realize this, there have been seasons of our marriage where it hasn't been in the place it was supposed to be. And in truth, it didn't have anything to do with where I was with Tina. It had everything to do with where I was with God. When I'm where I am with him, this relationship's in a good place. When I am where I am with him, the relationship with my kids is in a good place. When I am where I am with him, the relationship with the people I go to church with is in a good place. If this is out of whack, it filters down to all of them. It's easy to be selfish because I'm not listening to him deal with me. It's easy to do my own thing because I'm listening. It's easy to just think about me. Put all the expectations on you. But because he loves you, when my relationship is where it needs to be with him, he talks to me about you. Hey, you need to apologize. I want you to be humble. Hey, you did wrong. Hey, they're hurting. And I know he does the same for you. For most of us, there's seasons where marriage is incredibly hard. It doesn't mean it's not good, it's just hard. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes their insecurity shows up. Sometimes my insecurity shows up. Sometimes I feel neglected or, or just unimportant. And so I, I have to stay in God's presence to, to give what my wife needs or what I'm called to give in that moment because I can be selfish. I can respond out of my pain and pull back. But if I keep my heart tender towards God, if, if she keeps her heart tender towards God, is we're still two imperfect individuals that have so much more growing to do. So many more things still yet to get right. But, but it keeps us together and moving forward. And, and it becomes part of the good stuff because our relationship is where it needs to be. Keep your heart tender. Tender towards God. And he helps you work through the challenges that do come in marriage.
he shows up. He heals you in the places you need to be healed. He heals your spouse in those places. And you have a story to tell about how you pushed through and persevered even the hard places. I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes for just a few minutes. I want us to spend a moment with God. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that if you're married right now, I, I want you to begin to pray for your spouse. It's interesting that in marriages where spouses pray, divorce is like less than 5%. It's, it's astronomically lower than what it is for everybody else. And I believe it's, it's just a great picture that we, we really can't do this like it's supposed to be done without inviting God to be a part of it. Now, I know some of you are single and maybe you've been married before and there could be a lot of pain that you carry as a result of that. And like I've said before, if there's any guilt or shame, you just receive the forgiveness of God. This is a new day. God's all about making things new. So receive that. And some of you may carry wounds that are so deep from previous relationships that I'm not saying you ever have to trust that person again or ever have to be with that person again. But maybe you need to invite the Holy Spirit in to help you forgive that person. You'll, you'll never be whole until you do. Some of you may have no desire to be married, and that's okay. Unless that's birthed out of pain. At that point, ask God to heal you and then make that decision. Some of you may long to be married. Continue to pray and trust God with that. Let's make this a new day. A fresh start, a new beginning. Let's just spend a moment with God.